Hi, this is Paul Siegel. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and youtube.com slash wanderingdms slash live. And now, on with the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan. And today we have a very special guest, the legendary Ramsey Campbell, um, who, if you don't know who that is, um, I, I, I can't believe he agreed to be here, frankly, because he's written over 30 <laughs> novels, hundreds of short stories. If you don't know who that is, <laughs> he's the winner of the World Fantasy Award, the Grand Master Award at the World Horror Convention, the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Horror Writers Association, and many, many others. Ramsey, we're so happy you, you wanted to spend time with us today. Hey, my pleasure, guys. My pleasure. <laughs> Before we go, is there any like award or title or position that you've held that that I didn't mention that like you're particularly proud of? Before we go on, well, oh gosh, I don't know. Well, I'll tell you the one that that did give me great pleasure, which is not an award in the in the usual sense, but uh, the Liverpool University, the John Moores University, they gave me a an honorary fellowship for what they described as you know outstanding services to literature. Well, that's what they said, not me. But you know, I was very proud of that. And when I when I did my acceptance speech at a huge cathedral, two thousand people, um, I actually said I, I'd, you know, I'd like to accept this on behalf of the horror field as well as just me. So uh, I was proud of it for that too. Basically, that kind of you know appreciation, if you like. That's nice. That's that that's very that's very thoughtful of you. I like I like that a lot. And I guess it occurs to me. I think that what the Oxford uh, Guide to Literature uh, says that you're yeah. the 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 most influential living UK horror writer. I think. Well, so, that's not um, I'm living. That assumes I'm living. <laughs> Uh, I guess I guess we don't have any real solid proof of that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm just, I'm just an electronic image, guys. You know, I'm not really here. Very, I very, really don't need. Okay, I both know. of you. I don't personally need any more existential terror today. I've got enough on my plate. So. <laughs> so what we wanted to what we wanted to talk about in particular is uh, this week uh, in two days, uh, Ramsey has a new book coming out. It's called uh, "The Way of the Worm," and it is the finale to the Daeloth tri trilogy, the Three Births of Daeloth. And there's a review in the Guardian this week that says, um, just briefly, although now better known for his subtler evocations of unease. Campbell's early stories were heavily influenced by H.P. Lovecraft, and here he returns to his roots, even outdoing Lovecraft in his depictions of full-on cosmic terror. Is that is that a fair? Do you think that's a fair description, Ramsey, or would you would you pitch oh, it differently? Well, I'm very flattered. So hell, I'm not going to I'm not going to to brush it off. That's for certain. Uh, no, no, I'm very pleased with it because you know I I I have over the last sixty years now uh, in print. Um, you know, I, I've tried to, to get that sense of cosmic terror that I love so much in Lovecraft and Blackwood and Macken, you know, others, Ted Klein, uh, Ligotti and so forth. And, you know, every so often I have, an, I have another go at it. And 
Yeah, I mean, I do think the trilogy, I hope, you know, manages to scale a, a couple more, you know, I wouldn't say peaks of it exactly, but, you know, at least get up the foothills, uh, which is uh, where I, I shall spring from my next effort, maybe. Excellent. Excellent. Amazing. So when I we, when I read this, I felt it was... Go ahead, Paul. <coughs> oh, I was just going to say, we're, we're big fans of Lovecraft here on the show. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Lovecraft's hometown of Providence, Rhode Island. It's about halfway between uh, Dan and I physically. Uh, we, yeah. should, we should meet up there someday, Dan. Um, oh. uh, I, I'm kind of curious... Uh, I, I was kind of curious just to, just to uh, you know, broad strokes from you, um, like for, for viewers who maybe aren't, aren't super tuned into this, what, what would you define as cosmic horror? How do, what separates that from other, other forms of horror? Well, I suppose something, you know, some, something vaster than, than, than our experience, if you like. I think, I think it's a sense of largeness and, and, and you know, in the, the, the infinite, if you like, um, depending. I mean, obviously, you love to have to get the sense of, 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 of the infinity of time in something like the shadow out of time you get the sense of infinite space in well and and the sense that things are completely different elsewhere in something like the color out of space which i think are two of his greatest stories um in something like the willows blackwood i suppose and um, the black blackwood in particular i suppose that there's a sense that the entire narrative is a kind of metaphor for something it can't directly describe you know it's as if the entire story is a way of conveying something indirectly that, that's larger than the story. It can't be contained by the story. I, I guess that would be cosmic terror for me. That's, that sounds like a fascinatingly difficult writing task to, to describe the undescribable. Um, well, yeah, uh, yeah. Is, is that is that what appeals to you about it? Is that like like how is is that more appealing than than say a, a thriller or something that that dwells on sort of just you know more I guess uh, mundane if you will horror? Well, I mean I find both appealing. You know, I mean I've actually done a few you know studies of psychosis and so forth. You know, the face of die, very early one, you know, recent stuff like I don't know secret story. Um, but yes, I have to say what really engages my imagination most is the uncanny. And maybe yeah. the larger that is, the better. So yes, I can feel you know if you like my my imagination kind of click in or 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 expand if you like when I'm writing that kind of thing. And it's always the bit that I particularly enjoy writing in a narrative if it's in there, you know. Um, yeah. And certainly whenever I came upon it in the, in the whole trilogy, then you know there was this kind of you know a brightening of of consciousness if you like. So there is that excitement of creation. And, and of trying to reach for something you can't quite reach, uh, which I think is one of the essences of cosmic terror. That sense of reaching for, you know, well, mm -hmm. I think Fritz Leiber used to use the term wonder and terror. I think the combination of the two, maybe that's what we're really talking about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's interesting you mentioned Leiber because, uh, um, you know, you a main, uh, a main uh, plot point of The Way of the Worm is uh, there is a, uh, new church um, that's based in uh, a skyscraper in the now or near future Liverpool called Starview Tower. And to mm -hmm. me, that certainly brought uh, brought to mind uh, Liber's uh, story, uh, Stardock, featuring Fafford and the Grey Mouser. And I don't know if that was intentional or an echo, but that I was thinking about it while people were in Starview Tower in the book. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it may well be an echo. It wasn't intentional, but then sometimes I, I find myself writing, you know, Fritz ideas because he was a great, you know, tremendous writer. Uh, I mean, a huge influence on me as well. I think Smoke Ghost is an absolutely seminal, sort of crucial turning point in, in urban supernatural terror. Because, you know, whereas before the, the, you know, the, the, the ordinary everyday environment would be invaded by the supernatural, in Smoke Ghost, it's the source of the supernatural, and that's such a you know an extraordinary turning point. That you know the the, the, the whole you know, genre of, of of urban terror, I think, grows grows out of it. And um, certainly, influenced me hugely when I read him when I was, I guess, sixteen, seventeen years old. Um, in fact, met well, we met later on the film first World Fantasy Convention. Uh, actually, have the. Uh, not me, just me, obviously, but, you know, everybody there had the supreme pleasure of hearing Fritz read The Haunter of the Dark at Midnight in, in Providence, which, wow. you know, you can't get much better than that. Although, actually, I did, because we did a reading together at Jack Sullivan's apartment in New York the following year, so that was a, that was a memorable experience, too, for sure. Wow. Wow, that's great. I think you do you have an event the next week or two in the UK where you're doing readings. Am I right about that? Like, th this week or next week? Yes, actually, on the 29th, which is the, you know, the the official publication date in Britain of The Way of the Worm, I'll be doing it at Blackwell's uh, Bookshop in Liverpool. So, yeah, I'll be reading there at 6 o'clock in the evening. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure they might be streaming it. There's some talk of whether they could do that. Let's hope they can. Ah, that's great. That's great. I was, I was momentarily wishing I was in the UK uh, that week. Uh, mm -hmm. Basically for that event, so so uh, I, I, if they're streaming that, that would be great. <laughs> you know, one of the things I, I really um, thought was interesting about the the Dayaloth uh, trilogy was that you get to tell a generational story over mm. the course of the three books. We see the main character uh, Dominic Sheldrake first as a teenager. And then mm -hmm. as a young father, and then in this third book, we see him as a grandfather. And yeah. so, and, and in this third book, you know, we get to see him dealing with the problems of being aged and the aches and creaks and difficulty sleeping and inability to run away from the terrible things as much as you'd like to be able to do. Um, and, and also, um, it's interesting to, that normally in the pulp tradition, once someone has their has the mind expanding cosmic terror moment, that's the end of the story. And so here mm. we get to see what it's like in that person's life years or decades later after they've had a, that experience. Was yeah, that like yeah. an, was that part of what you were trying to bring out? Was that new for you? Oh, hugely, yes. And I mean to go back a bit further. I mean the thing was my old good old friend, great friend Pete Crowther at PS Publishing. It was initially his idea in a general sense. He he he, he thought, you know, somebody could do a, a, a trilogy of supernatural terror. Well, actually, of course, I just have to say that Jeff Vandermeer hit me to that post with, with you know, the very fine, you know, the, the, the Annihilation trilogy. Uh, so he got in first. But because it took me several years to work out what how one could do a you know a trilogy of this sort. Um and it, the, I, what was very important to me was that it shouldn't just be a, a very long novel chopped into three volumes, you know. It had to have mm -hmm. a reason mm -hmm. in three volumes. And, the re, you know, part of the reason is exactly what you've said, that, you know, it follows the... Well, it follows the, 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 all the major characters, really, across their, most of their lives. So, as you say, obviously, Dominic and his two friends, uh, 
Jim and Roberta, Bobby, uh, they, they grow up change, particularly in Roberta's case, uh, as, as the whole thing progresses. But equally, the, 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 the antagonist, the, the, the cult, you know, which starts off as, the, as, a, as a small-scale thing in the Trinity Church of the Spirit in, a, in, a, in a, a, a deconsecrated church in Blitz, Liverpool in the 1950s, um, and pretty well is underground, as you say, by the final volume, it's it's out there in the open. You know, public dignitaries and and celebrities belong to it mm-hmm. quite openly. It's got charity status. It's got you know branches all over the world. And I've got a terrible feeling that that's not you know too unlikely. You know, there's there's plenty of craziness out there in plain sight that um, seems to be almost accepted as a you know a fact of everyday life now. And so I mean, the the, the plunge into irrationality has has long been something that sort of terrified me, if you like, and particularly this sort of, well, not least the people espousing a belief system that will, you know, it'll answer all your questions so long as you give up the right to ask any. Um, and that was part of what I was trying to do in, in the way of the world. But also, you know, I did want to give this sense of, you know, we keep using the term cosmic terror, but I have to in this case, you know, um, and, and to see, could you preserve that in, in terms of something that was openly out there? And um, well, I hope I brought that off. I personally really like the uh, the the little tidbit of um, well, we wouldn't have actually called it a church except that we needed to call it a church in America for tax purposes. Mm. Uh, it's <laughs> yes, really yes. something, right? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's there. You go. That reads. That tracks. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other thing I like was there's, you know, in this third book, at least, there's an interesting mixture of, um, you know, technology and computers and, you know, mobile phones in addition to ancient texts or something that somebody at one point wrote on a scroll or a parchment. Um, and, you know, for me, there's a lot of like, it's just a little bit out of control. It's um, And there's there's issues of like, I might have just glitched up my phone accidentally. I might have, uh, the the technology isn't totally in my control. And it started to make me think about some people's theories about the singularity, about, you know, people getting to a point where they can change their bodies freely and things like that. Is, was that, was that an obvious element to add that in addition to like the, the ancient texts, now we also have this additional technology in the ether that's that's somewhat out of control oh gosh yes no, i think that certainly underlies the book but i think you know it goes in my stuff it goes all the way back to something like the grin of the dark in the you know around about 2005 i think that was mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. in my first sort of big internet the internet as being a, a sort of you know clearly i mean the internet's an enormous boon i wouldn't be without it wouldn't be without my smartphone you know iphone um you know i, I mean whenever i, I Want to find out something? I can pretty well go to it, and, and you know, like as not, it will it, it will be there. But equally, you know, the internet is this place where the monsters that we are <laughs> come out into the open. You know, they're all out there. Now. By God, and it, you know, it seems like an extension, an extension of human consciousness. And, you know, without going getting into too paranoid, although paranoid I am, God knows. Uh, you know, there's uh, the sense that we don't necessarily quite know. What it's doing to our to our own personal consciousness, as well as being this huge shared version, and um, I think it's still evolving. So are we, but you know, in what direction? Well, that's, that's part of my theme, I think. 
Yeah, it seems like like at one point there was the theory that sunlight is the best disinfectant. And if we mm. could, you know, and obviously there were people that were selling this technology. If we could have everybody voicing their opinions all the time in a marketplace of ideas that the best things would float to the top. And it seems like the opposite has sort of happened of just like every lunatic now is yelling at us all the time on our smartphones, basically. <laughs> so we're finally seeing the uh, the consequences of, of, of an uncontrollable uh, means of communication. I mean, all, all of us anti-censorship guys, and I, I am, you know, very much anti-censorship. I'm certainly seeing, you know, the the the, the results of, of my 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 attitudes, if you like. That's pretty frightening. Yeah, there, I'm curious. Are there, <laughs> go on, go on. Are Are there any cases where you were, you know, in the middle of writing a work where uh, world events uh, changed or shifted in in a surprising way that that impacted your writing? Like, I, specifically, what's in my head, of course, is like you must have been in the middle of something when the pandemic broke out. And did that like radically shift yeah. what you were working on, or do you just kind of push that to the sides and focus in on what you're? It, it had to go to the side because you know, because the world, in a sense, the world of that novel. I'm trying to think which novel that would have been actually. Um, hmm. I suppose it would have been um, somebody's voice. I think I would have been writing that then. <laughs> And, and given that a lot of that, well, it's a bit of a cop out in a way, not a cop out, I hope, but you know, a lot of that does take place in, in several decades earlier. So that was one mm -hmm. reason to have to take that into account. But I think the, yeah, I, I, I suppose I, I felt that the novel had to be to stay in the world in which it had begun, basically. Mm -hmm. and that's, I think it's a more self contained uh, world. Now, in fact, I'll go a little bit further on this because I basically felt for quite a time, you know, because obviously one of the questions that's been circulating in the writing community is, you know, do we now have to acknowledge the pandemic and, and write about it? Or, you know, or, you know do, must we not incorporate it somehow? Now, my feeling is, well, you know, you read, you know, Hemingway, Fitzgerald, Virginia Woolf, E.M. Forster in the 20s, you don't have much sense of Spanish flu, hmm. really. Um, hmm. So in a sense, you know, it seems to me, no, you don't have to. You don't have to incorporate it if you don't want to. You can write about a world in which it didn't exist. Whether you're going to write about a world that somehow now in which it doesn't exist, I don't know so much about that. But I did feel for quite a time that, you know, I wouldn't use it. it in a way, it just seemed to be potentially exploitative to use it anyway, you know, just to put it in. But okay, for, real, for, the sense of, for the reasons of realism, maybe put it in, but, you know, for... for just in order to use it, maybe not. But I've got to admit that the novel that I've most recently completed in first draft, it won't be out until next year, uh, I've got to rewrite it yet, a book called The Lonely Lands. Um, I was some way into gathering you know, the, the material to start writing that. And I thought, well, actually, no. In fact, the pandemic is absolutely the obvious sort of background to this novel. I won't go into much detail about it, but suffice yeah. it to say... That the novel did allow me to talk about the pandemic in ways that seem to me to be valid. And so, yes, it's in there. Now, whether it will be in anything else I write, I don't honestly know. I've no plans at the moment for it to be, but we'll see. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah, that's great.
Now you use the word you use the word didn't want to be exploitative in there and mm -hmm. and thinking about the 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 towering monument that is your career Ramsey I was thinking <laughs> are there any subjects you know as culture evolves are there any subjects that you would have wanted to use in a horror story decades ago that you now feel you need to stay away from or you know, does horror need to be transgressive and do you need to be going over those lines or being willing to go over those lines all the time? Are there things you just don't want to use anymore? I should say, you know, just to come back to the, a little bit, one of your points, I don't think it has to be transgressive. I don't think it has to be anything in specific. To, okay. you know, it, may, it may be. I think, don't think it shouldn't. I'm saying it's not saying that it shouldn't be transgressive, which would be, which would be mm -hmm. nonsense. I mean, looking back now, um, I mean, there's a story in Scared Stiff, which is my kind of Tales of Sex and Death book. I mean, some fake folk fans erotic. I didn't really intend it that way. I was trying to find out what would happen to a horror story if you made the sex, which is often, you know, implicit and underlying. If you made that explicit, would it rob it of its power? It seemed to me it probably didn't. But there's one story called The Other Woman, which has, I suppose, does sort of trade around rape fantasies. And whether I would write that now... I, I doubt it, frankly, but I, I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. I'll still leave it out there. I still think it's a valid story, but I, I, I don't know that I would go for it now. Um, I've always said, and it's still true, that I wouldn't write about the Holocaust because I simply don't know enough about it. I certainly don't have enough experience that, you know, that, that would somehow trump, well, I wouldn't hardly trump anybody else's, but, you know, it seems to me there are people who, who can write about it from experience or certainly from with more insight than... Than, than, than I can bring, so no. But I guess I have written about the process of dehumanizing victims or scapegoats. <laughs> I've certainly written about that. So to that extent, I suppose you could say, I've written about that mindset. This particular little story called The Street Was Chosen, which is written in an entirely passive voice. It's a, a, a report of, of, a, of, of an experiment whose nature is only gradually apparent from the report itself and, uh, and that is absolutely about just making people into objects you know with no names just n numbers and letters um and you know doing things you know providing stimuli that will send them in various directions um again maybe that is my is it's in, you know, I, I think it's taste to say that's my holocaust story but it's my story about that that kind of attitude to other people put it that way um I, I, the one I, I've, I've still sort of re re regret, you see, there's um, my old novel, The Nameless. In in passing, it refers to the Moore murderers, you know, the, uh, Brady and Hindley, who murdered several children in, in Manchester. <clears throat> now, the, the characters within the story, just in one thing, just refer to them partly because in, a, in, the, in, the, in the year in which that scene is taking place, these two young mothers would most certainly be aware of it and would, would, would you know, you know, regarded as being a, a, you know, a particular sort of background terror, if you like. Um, I'm still not sure what I should have put that in. Um, on the other hand, I mean, there's a story called Chucky Comes to Liverpool, which is about the sort of panic that ensued after the, the murder of Jamie Bul of James Bulger in, in Liverpool. A toddler was murdered by two 10-year-olds. And uh, uh, infamously, the, um, the court judge blamed video nasties, was specifically blamed the child's play movies, which, in fact, it turned out had never been brought up in evidence, and apparently the prosecuting people had no sense that they kids had ever watched these films. But there was this huge sort of panic, and 
you know, tabloid uh, campaign to get these videos banned, particularly in Britain, in Liverpool, I think. Huh. Um, so that Crazy. story did, did sort of deal with that, that panic, if you like. And to that extent, I think that's valid. And I'm, I, I do think that, you know, it was a kind of reasonable way to, to, to treat of the theme. I suppose one final thing, um, child abuse, you know, actual sexual abuse. I, I, I certainly felt, that, well, I felt there was no reason for me to write about that. But ultimately I did in, in somebody's voice, because it did seem to me to be a, 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 an important theme and, and a central theme to that particular book. I, I think I did so responsibly, I hope so anyway. Interesting. You know, it, like on that point, you know, way of the worm, there's at least a point where someone is accused of that. It doesn't, it, the way of the worm doesn't, you know, graphically go into that at all. Right. Um, one thing some of us, you know, uh, wrestle with is the modern concept of, of content warnings. And yeah. particularly for horror, I wrestle with um, the, the, the desire for the horror to be a, you know, a shocking surprise that you yes, didn't expect. Yes versus some people's desires nowadays that that certain things they should be warned about in advance. And for example, yeah. like in Way of the Worm, you know, without saying what it is, ch you know, chapter seven is titled A Family Secret. And yeah. I feel yeah. for me, if I had been, if I'd had a banner up front that warned me what yeah. the secret yeah. was gonna be, then the, the effect would be lost. How do you feel yeah. about content warning type stuff like that? Is that, antithetical to horror or is that an okay tool in some cases i, I don't think it's antithetical but i, I think I, my, my own attitude frankly is that you know it, there are folk who if they want to to be warned about things like this just as you know for instance if you were if you went to see a film like irreversible the, you, know, you know that one the gaspar noe film which which has an eight minute rape scene at the center of the film it is a is, is absolutely crucial to it and it's and it's, it's shot in a single take it's absolutely terrifying it's fair to say it was apparently directed by the actress Monica Bellucci, the victim in the film. So you know, the, 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 the prolongation was partly her idea. In fact, I think it was largely her idea. But I think, you know, it, it might be reasonable to, to expect to have some sort of warning, at least on the certificate, you know, uh, not, not on the title card on the screen, but on the poster or on the... And I think, you know, with, 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 with films in Britain, at least, I think in America too, with the MPAA, you can go online and look on their site. There'll be, there'll be a, a, a summation of what the sort of content within the film is that has gained it, that certificate. But you've got to go and look. I think equally, if it, you had it on a book, say in you know in some little box, you know, uh, kind of um, of te a text box on the book, maybe on the back cover, you know, uh, down the bottom left hand corner, something like that. So you know where to look, but also you know where to look away from. If you are, you know, like like we are, I think people who don't want to be warned in advance. I think some of them identified that way. It's there if you want to see it, and it's equally there if you don't want to look at it. Um, then yes, I, I would say yeah. And and I, I think on the I did well in the case, or also because that's what the blurb can be about, if not more. And I did make sure that in the case of somebody's voice, that you know, it was clear from the blurb that child abuse was involved, because I, I did feel that that was something that people might want to be warned about, some of the readers. Very thoughtful. Very thoughtful. Thank you for that. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, the other thing that we wanted to talk about is the, the other book that was published uh, just a couple months ago is a uh, republication of your Far Away and Never, um, oh. which uh, I think what DMR books, right, uh, in the last year was republished. And so that, if for viewers that don't know, that is a collection of specifically fantasy stories in your world of Tond. And yeah. about half of them feature the Swordsman Ryer that we love. Uh, and those <laughs> stories, I guess, were originally written for the Swords and Wizardry um, series. Um, and I and also see this has a new. It's 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 um, promoted as having a new story in it. Is the new story something that you wrote recently, or is that something from your file drawer? Oh, uh, sadly, it's not quite a new story. It's new to that book, um, but it was my sort of Lovecraftian, or at least yeah. Well, yes, it, who's in it now? It's, uh, is it not? I think Daleth, old good old Daleth, I think he shows up actually, or an avatar. Okay. Uh, okay. It's called it's called the Madness from the Vault. It, it has been reprinted before, but not 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 here. But no, I, I wouldn't want anybody to run away with the idea that you're going to get an unpublished story because sadly, no, you're not. <coughs> but they're super high quality. People should get it anyway if they if they oh, have yeah. if they haven't read all these already. They should. They should get it yeah, anyway. Well, I'll give you a little bit of background if you like. I mean, well, Tom, it's... now you see, Tom, Tom began life uh, in that very first story that, that, that is, you know, the new story within that volume, uh, A Madness from the Vault. Now, that was originally written for The Inhabitant of the Lake. It was one of the stories that I intended to put in there. But I, I finished it, was wholly unhappy with it. Um, didn't think it worked very much at all. I mean, it, it, was, it, was, it was an attempt, I think, to be more Clark Ashton Smith than Lovecraft, actually, and to invent this, this other world, you know, Tond, um, which is something like, you know, one, one of Clark Ashton Smith's mythic setting, like Zothik or something like that, um, or, or for that matter, you know, his, his other planets as well. Um, and so the, the, I, I didn't use it, I didn't even send it to Durth, in fact, and it, it languished until it went into a fanzine. And then a few years later, I was asked by, it was Mead and Penny Frierson, who did this huge, wonderful, glossy, I suppose technically a fan, a fan publication, just called HPL, that came out in the early 70s. They asked me if I'd got anything for that that hadn't been published. So I went back, looked at this story, Still loathed it. What I did was actually rewrote it completely from start to finish, <laughs> and took them that version, and they liked it and used it. That's the version that is in Far Away and Never. <laughs> now, a few years passed, not back to be not many. We're then in 1973, 74, I suppose, and horror is not selling. So my agent, Kirby McCauley, good old Kirby, suddenly long gone, or a few years gone now, um, said, you know, I. I I, he, he, he suggested I diversify, try science fiction, try fantasy. Well, find a bit of science fiction, it was terrible, turgid, terrible stuff. Um, so I, I, there I go, fantasy. And I wrote this one story, the first one. Um, no, there was, before that, there was just one that I did off the cuff, which was um, The Stages of the God, which is in there too. Um, but then came the idea of doing, you know, a, a sword and sorcery hero who is as you say, Raya, um, who is central to four stories in, the, in that the, the major part of that book, in fact. And I wrote that story, said, oh, good Lord, about 15, 16,000 words long. Um, sent it to Kirby, who duly sold to Andy Offutt for that anthology series you mentioned. Um, 
Andy said, yes, he liked it, but he felt it was a little bit long. And so, could, you know, could I cut it down a bit? So I duly looked at it. Yes, it, it was. Uh, it was not really that, but it was a, it was, it was a bit sort of stodgy. So I took about, about 4,000 words out of it, actually, which Andy was astounded by, because that was about a quarter of the story. Um, <laughs> and, and he duly used it. And then he carried on doing the series and asked me for more. So I duly did more. So four altogether, and then the series ended, sadly. And so I, I've never come back to old, old Raya. Whether I have a show, well, who knows, who knows? You know, maybe I'll give him another shot if, uh, if, if the opportunity comes along. But, of course, it will now be, good Lord, you see, it will now be nearly 40 years on. So, well, you know, probably you'll be walking around with a stick. <laughs> Hopefully a sword cane. I is, is oh, yeah, <laughs> you know the now we promise so and so we, you know we're uh, um, you know fantasy horror gaming aficionados and we are mm -hmm. we, we're going to hold promise of not asking you any questions about gaming but the um, the okay. swords and wizardry series was uh, you know foundational to our favorite uh you know fantasy game of dungeons and dragons it was specifically called out as among the most important um influence yeah. the entire yeah. fantasy as a matter of fact so one yeah. thing i wanted to ask you for those of us of a particular age i mean there was a there was a moment you know how different is horror from fantasy really because when i was growing up in a rural area mm. in the united states there there were the bookstores didn't have two separate sections. There was just like one section that was horror and fantasy together. And mm -hmm. if there, if one reads like an early, um, you know, analysis like Moorcock's Wizardry and Wild Romance, it, yeah. I mean, at that point he's calling it all romance actually. And yeah, yeah. do you do you really see a big difference between those genres, or is that just a historical accident? Well, I think there's certainly an overlap. Um, and of course, you you also have. Those writers who, who did both, I mean, the huge uh, example, obviously, is Lovecraft, with, you know, all his dreamland stories as well as, 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 as his horror stories. Um, Liber, Fritz Liber, clearly, you know, the Fafford Grey Mouse on the one hand and his, his, his overt supernatural on the other. Um, I suppose, well, um, see, as soon as I start defining things, I realize, no, I'm wrong. So if, I, if I come up with a definition before it's out of my mouth, I realise that it really doesn't cover it. So I was about to say, you know, fantasy probably takes place in a, a fantasy world. You know, it's, a, it's more likely to. Well, I think it's more likely to, certainly. Um, you know, whether it be, I don't know, Tolkien or Pullman. Or, or, but then, you know, Pullman, to some extent, is, is, is located in, in something akin to the real world. And when you come along to something mm -hmm. like Alan Garner, and you have, you know, wonderful stuff with unicorns at large, or one unicorn, large in the back alleys of of of, of uh, lower class you know working class manchester um i just say lower class i don't mean that uh, but there you are what a copy book forever there uh, but i come from it myself that's why that's why i could say it anyway um but, but you know the, the sense of a fantastic creature um in a in a completely realistic environment but clearly that's fantasy as well um so I suppose it's, there's certainly overlap. Let me put it the other way. I mean, um, you know, some of Dark Eyes' <laughs> best stories, you know, mm -hmm. is the abominations of Yondo fantasy or horror. 
Well, I think it's both, you know, it, it, and, and a whole bunch of his other other stories too. Fritz Leiber's first one, um, of, of the uh, uh, Adept's Gambit, has a, a lot of overtly horrific stuff in it and very dark stuff. Of course, he, in, in the original draft, he actually put in references to the uh, Lovecraft mythos, but you know, later, later yep. took them out. But, you know, the, 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 there's a fair amount of overlap. Um, I suppose the fantastic is is less likely to be horrific. I suppose that's the uh, it may have a sense of terror, uh, but perhaps it stops short of horror. But then again, we then go to all those definitions because for me, you know, horror horror encompasses it all from you know from, from just disquiet and psychological um, disturbance all the way to you know, through to the uncanny, the cosmic, you know, to the to to the graphic, you know, to body horror. So. Um, so I'm contradicting myself as I speak. You know, I basically get this old bastard rambling on. So stop me doing it. We, we, we like to think of it as Ramsey containing multitudes is what we'd like to think <laughs> <laughs> of. Yes, yes, absolutely. The demons are in there. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, it's certainly... You know, I I, um, I was reading uh, very recently uh, the Pit of Wings, and and yeah. uh, you know, obviously both fantasy and horror. And I know yeah. that yeah. Uh, Dan Dan has suggested uh, that most most fantasy, if if explored too deep, eventually turns into horror. Um, oh. And I and I wonder yeah. I wonder if that's um, you know I, I don't know when you think of like those components of fantasy, right? That that if you put them if you contextualize them. In a, in a yeah. realistic setting, or or how a, a real person might react to them, you go actually actually those yeah. elements are, are actually quite horrific. Um, yes, I think that's right. And there's one there's one extraordinary example of this actually that is not terribly well known. I mean, you probably know that. Do you know Mary Bort Mary Norton's stories of the borrowers? Um, I mean, actually, yes. uh, Studio, Studio Ghibli did the Arietti film. In fact, is is based mm -hmm. on on those. Um, so you know they're they're basically tiny people who live in you know in you know in in on, in, in people's houses you know behind the skirting board and all that and the, the stories are told from their viewpoint and they you know they're, they're, they're in constant peril from the big people who are who are us basically um, and even that's got a sort of edge of paranoia but they're essentially fantasy. Now there was a short story she wrote called Paul's Tale in which she turns the entire thing round. And it's about this young boy and his aunt, and he's convinced of this this little person running about that you know she can't see, and eventually she maybe does see it, and this is just a sort of paranoid nightmare. And it's the same basic <laughs> material, but it's it's just given yeah. that half turn, yeah. and it turns into something completely different. There's a story in a in a in an anthology that I loved uh, being a math lecturer called Math and Knots, and I cannot remember the name of it, and I cannot remember the author, but it was that. Except there's an infinite regress. So huh. the, there's small people and there's big people, and the big people are small people to even bigger people who are small people to yeah. even bigger people in both directions. And yeah, I'm like, uh -huh. I do not want to. And that's truly terrifying. Good point. You know, so we keep cutting back to Lovecraft, right? And, you yeah. know, so he was influential to all of us, frankly. And, yeah, yeah. you know, many of us wrestle with, you know, and I've identified, you know, I always say that he's basically the root of all of the literature that has really affected me, um, you know, up, up, up to now. 
And many of us wrestle with his cultural influence. And I've seen it written that that you yourself, Ramsey, have in the past disavowed him and then re-embraced him. What what do you feel like the status of of Lovecraft is nowadays for you? Well, I mean, to me, he's he's, he's among the the most important writers of the field, certainly. I mean, for two reasons. Um, First of all, I mean, this this whole parody notion of Lovecraft that many of his detractors purvey, but also I have to say, even some of some admirers, that you know it's all purple prose and it, and it's you know saying that things are indescribable. Well, obviously that clearly is not the case. If you look at but the indescribable thing. You look at something like the Dunwich Horror or at the Mountains of Madness. You know, they're, they're very detailed descriptions of his of his <laughs> creatures. Um, uh, in, uh, in, in other, I mean, it's something like the color out of space, because this wonderful sort of image of alienness, which doesn't need to be described, it, it, it's conveyed, but it doesn't need to be described in physical detail, though he certainly conveys plenty of that in the, in the course of the story. Um, the other thing, for, but, so, but the thing for me is that, in fact, it's absolutely the opposite. Okay, there are stories like The Hound, which are pretty, pretty florid in the telling um, of the outsider, if you like, to some extent. But many of his greatest stories, the, the prose is extraordinarily carefully modulated. You know, it moves all the way from, you know, very sober documentary style into sort of gradual unease and so forth into, you know, into the occasional real explosion of prose. But those are very carefully prepared for. And I, 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 I did a long piece on, on some of the stories, and in particular, the rats in the walls. And that actually seems to me to be a story about language. I mean, there's a line in that which the narrator has, I think it's, um, I must go very carefully now and choose my words. But of course, he's been doing that all the way through the story, Lovecraft has, as is typical mm-hmm. of him. And it, that's a story about the breakdown of language as much as anything else. Toward the end of the story, literally, the language comes apart, you know, and, and it flies into incoherence. Um, and you, you know, it's an extraordinary sense. And that's the other thing you see with Lovecraft for me is this sense of structure in his best work. Very careful, you know, gradual accretion of detail, you know, from suggestiveness to you know, gradual explicitness. And I mean, that to me, actually, that shift from the suggestive to the explicit, if it's done in a horror story, it's one of the most difficult transitions to make, I think. And you know. It, 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 it needs extraordinary care in, in, in timing and choice of words and, and so forth. And, you know, um, very difficult to bring up, but Lovecraft does it time after time, I think. Now, obviously, we can't really ignore, you know, the, the, the whole issue of racism in Lovecraft. And there's no question there is some there. And I think, you know, the moment he seems to be, you know, pilloried for it quite a bit, it's a bit as though, you know, Wagner were being regarded as being an anti-Semite and nothing more than that. Now, Wagner certainly was an anti-Semite, <coughs> for sure, mm-hmm. but you know, he's a great deal more significant than that. And so I think it's the case with Lovecraft, and I think it, but in the same way, eventually, things will sort of balance out, and you know, the, there will be a more balanced view of Lovecraft as there now is of Wagner. Let me throw up a, um, a comment here uh, from Tony Lovell that we have. Uh, mm. in the live chat. So Tony's saying, I read Lovecraft during the lockdowns and he was a great comfort. Nothing like yep. modern life and much more moving in places than I remembered. Um, mm. So so it's these things go in cycles and it would, I, I'm, I'm wondering if you might be correct, Ramsey, that that, that pendulum might swing back. Um, I think so. I think, you know, 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking of just going with Tony's comment more generally. I, I do find that, that, that there's, there's a, at the moment, and probably more than ever, you know, we get this question asked, you know, why why do you write horror when there's so much horror in the world, you know, or words to that effect? Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. there are various different answers to that, one of which is, you know, if there is, and indeed we know that, yes, there is, well, why wouldn't you write about it in one sense? Why would you not reflect reality in some way? But I also think, you know, Horror fiction doesn't necessarily deal with that kind of horror, you know, that often it's, it is, you know, trying to deal with something else, with the psychological, with the uncanny, the numinous even, you know, it's attempting to touch upon that in somebody like, say, Arthur Mackin. And so I think, you know, it's, it's not the same thing. And I, I think that's, that's really the answer. And so it can, even in the, you know, the present nightmare we seem to be experiencing, you know, it can be. Uh, sort of elevating it, you know, and oh, let me just you know, pin down that, that. I wasn't meaning elevated horror, that dreadful term as I absolutely repudiate. I mean, the, hero, the horror can sort of elevate the imagination. But, you know, this elevated horror thing, I mean, I've not, I don't think I've been accused of doing that, but I've certainly been accused of transcending the genre. Well, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, very kind of people to think this, but I don't think I do. I think if I'm as good as they say, then I'm, I'm, I'm perhaps being, being worthy of the genre, but that's a quite different, that's not transcending it, doing something quite different. Hmm. Fascinating, Int fascinating take, fascinating take. Paul, do you have, do you, would you have a question? I, cause I, I have- No, I no, have, no, sorry. I've got to ask really, so, really fascinating uh, thought. And I, I just love the idea there of, of, of the, the bar of what the genre is perhaps being lifted mm -hmm. entirely rather than, you know, expanding the genre rather yeah. than transcending the genre. It's I, guess, I think expanding is, expanding is absolutely fine. I think, you yeah. know, we all, well, I've certainly tried to do that, you know, there's certainly people like Lovecraft, you know, Fritz Leiber and so forth, Robert Aitman, of course he didn't say he wrote horror, but still, you know, who most emphatically expanded of Steve King, he destroyed many, many, you know, there's too many to count. This is why I never mm. like that question, you know, who do you rate now? Because there's so many I do, I always feel, oh God, I've left them out, you know. So let me just <laughs> say, this. I don't yep. ask, but I'll say it anyway. I, I actually do think we're in something of a golden age of the field right now. A tremendous mm. amount of talent, you know? I mean, more, more, as much as there's ever been in any one period that I'm aware of. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited by it. Fantastic. Excellent. Fantastic. That's great. Now I have, okay. So I do have to ask one more question about, about the olden days. And that mm -hmm. is obvious. And you mentioned, um, August Derleth, uh, a little bit earlier. Um, and you worked with him on your initial publications with him, obviously publishing hard Arkham house. And so I've seen it said that he gave you advice which, which isn't too he surprising as a, as a publisher doing a writer what was he the did. one or two pieces of most important advice that Durleth gave you oh gosh um well certainly i mean D D D it, was, it was the old sh you know show don't tell <laughs> i have to say because i did sort of summarize a lot i mean having you know imitated lovecraft to a fault in these his early stories um also <laughs> certainly don't overwrite um he, uh, he he said this, and by God, was he ever right? Do, would you like me to perform a brief excerpt because I've done it so often I can do this? Uh, <laughs> it will demonstrate what yes. he was talking about. Yes, yes. Well, yes, please. I mean, okay, in the early draft of of the Church in High Street, which you know was the first story of mine he ever published, and he actually did edit that. Uh, he didn't edit anything else except with a very very occasional word in 
in, in the inhabitant and nothing in demons by daylight. But this certainly, you know, it was still too overwritten. But the point was um, that the, the version I sent him was not the version he, he, he commented upon initially. Uh, that was the overwritten one. Now, there is in that story uh, a moment where the narrator discovers his, his friend, who's now been made away with by the creatures, you know, um, has, has meant to send him a telegram. Um, but which he never has sent because you know, he's been he's been dragged away instead. And the telegram, unless I can do this verbatim, having done it so often, you remember <laughs> this is a telegram, and it goes to Richard Dodd. Come at once to Kingsport. It was Kingsport? You see, because I, I was using Lovecraftian settings then. Come at once to Kingsport. You were needed urgently by me here as protection against agencies which may kill me or worse if you do not come immediately will explain as soon as you get here dot 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 but what is this that shambles unspeakably down the corridor toward this room it cannot be that abomination that i glimpsed in the nitrous vault below the church it asked with page yeah show me bravo <laughs> That's you now great. Know I, needed, now I know why I needed an editor. <laughs> some of our some of our favorite writers uh, constantly think they would have been a lot better with a good editor. Oh well. That's spectacular. <laughs> That's spectacular. I guess okay. So here's a here's the last question. I mean, you've you've mentioned films a couple times, and we were talking about movies before we started the show, even. So yeah. films are important to you, right? Uh, you, yeah. you know, the the main character here in Way of the Worm, he was a lecturer in film in book two. I notice in your acknowledgments, you say you were you were treating yourself to a to a rare film at the end of every day to treat yourself for yeah. succeeding at writing. And yep, you, yep. you know the cover of the book even has uh, a complimentary blurb by uh, Guillermo del Toro. Um, that's yes. You, when you're writing, you know how much um, uh, influence are films having on your writing? Are you thinking about like what is this going to look like in film if someday this gets turned into a movie? Are you thinking about that kind of thing while you're writing? No, never. No, no. I mean, I think exclusively in language, actually, it's 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 finding the right the right phrasing, really. And so, no. I mean, I may visualize it, but I don't visualize it in terms of how somebody else would would do it. I mean, I'd be fascinated to see that. And obviously, you know, to some extent, I have seen that because there've been some films made from from my stuff. I actually have to say, you know, Gilmore has bought a short story for his uh, television series, so that's oh. that's gonna be fun to watch for sure. Uh, okay. Down there, historical down there, um, but but in terms of, I mean, film tends to be, I mean, something I love. I've loved the cinema from from very early on, and particularly, I mean, here in Britain, you in the fifties uh, and early sixties, um, you well, in the, in the, in around then, you couldn't get to see a horror movie unless you were. It turned you pass for being sixteen years old. You see, nearly everything has an X certificate. So I wasn't until fourteen that I was able to. Go and catch up on all these films I read about in in famous monsters, and I duly did for years, you know. But I mean, I I, I soon branched out into Ingmar Bergman and 
last year in Marienbad and so forth and so on. And I've loved all, all manner of films, basically. Um, and in fact, I have to say um, that P.S. are very soon being out. I collected video reviews from Video Watchdog. So that will be a that'll be a, a quite a, a chunky book sometime. Uh, so about, about, no, about May, I think we're bringing that out. Um, but I, think you, I know you didn't ask me this specifically, but the film doesn't really influence my stuff very much. You know, I don't. But there are moments. I mean, there's um, there's a scene in the Mountain Carnival of Souls I love so much uh, that I that I kind of put a version into incarnate. And there's a scene in a, in a, a mediocre Danny Kay comedy thriller called Knock on Wood, where a, a body is sort of pinned to the back of the door, and the gag is Danny Kay doesn't, uh, you know. He thinks it's a coat hanging up there. But the audience laughed immoderately. And that, when I was 10 years old, I was sort of terrified out of my wits, basically. And that stayed with me for so long that I put a version of that in uh, in the nameless. There have been moments where I've, you know, put, put in favourite images, but, but on the whole, no. I mean, the uh, film doesn't use the way I do it, I don't think. Fascinating, fascinating. You know, I worked, so one single time I worked on a feature film um, in Massachusetts. Um, it was actually, um, it doesn't matter what the production was. This was years ago. And uh, I was working as an animal wrangler. And so I was shipped into this island off the, the coast of Massachusetts to be the only person on the isolated island taking care of the animals and the horses, the cows and pigs and stuff overnight. And I took some uh, Lovecraft with me, and I happened to be reading uh, the Dunwich Horror, maybe for the second time, and in, at night alone. And I was reading the descriptions of the coast, and I looked up, and I was like, uh, and I realized I'm at, I'm off, I'm just, I'm off the coast of Ipswich. And yes, it, yes. it dawned on me that that Dunwich is based, and I'm like, uh, I'm actually mm -hmm. literally where Dunwich is supposed to be, and I'm alone <laughs> overnight. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't, I should have thought of that before I came here. Absolutely. You wouldn't be without it, though, right? I mean, the suitable surroundings, as Ambrose Bierce had it. You know, what, what could be better? There you go. You did it, and you, you lived to tell the tale, more to the point. Well done, well done. I, I did, and I only had to wrestle with one pig while I was there that night. <laughs> no, 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 we don't want to know about your sexual habits. <laughs> I deserve oh, that God. so much from Ramsey Campbell. <laughs> Oh dear! All right, Good All win, right. sir. Win. We we are we are running close to the end of the show here, um, uh, Ramsey. I just wanted to to ask: Is there is there anything uh, any closing thoughts or anything that we didn't touch on here that you were really hoping that we would uh, present to our audience? Oh Lord, hours worth, hours worth. But you know, we <laughs> yeah. can't, maybe, maybe we'll do it again another time. Why not? Let's do it. Uh, yeah. Let's do it for the yeah. next book. Something like that. Eh? So we'll, we'll, we'll save it for then, um, because okay. there will be another cosmic, technically, I think, another cosmic horror novel coming in September called Fellstone. Um, and about then, let me, I'm determined to shock you if I can. So let me just tell you that also coming maybe this year, but I'm, I'm nearly finished it anyway, a uh, 70,000 word monograph and appreciation of The Three Stooges. 
<laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. So you see, we're the twist our arm. We will yeah. <laughs> twist our arm. We will have to have uh, Ramsey back on to tell us about about those completely different types of writing that he does. <laughs> That's fantastic. Know, maybe maybe it's a, a horror story about the Three Stooges. I'm I'm actually excited. Oh, that. Yeah. Oh, I can't hear you right now. My uh, nope. is that me? I'll do it. I'm not sure. Dan, um, that's, me. That's, that's, that's that's Dan. Okay, great. You're back with back with us, Dan. Little, little glitch of the internet. Thankfully, came at the very very end. And <laughs> is, it, is it still him, or has he been replaced? <laughs> You'll never know. Dan, last chance. Any any final questions before we uh, before we close out? Uh, I just, just that I will be uh, looking forward to the hours of uh, commentary that we'll have from Ramsey in the future the next time he's on. <laughs> excellent, excellent. excellent. Uh, viewers, if uh, uh, you want to find some some links to to Ramsey's latest work, I'm sure that is in the video description here on YouTube. Please check it out, uh, as well as uh, where to look um, for uh, his uh, mm -hmm. upcoming uh, book. Uh, there we go. There it is. The the way of the worm. Um, you know, please, uh, please drop us some comments in the video description, uh, here on YouTube to uh, tell us, uh, what you think or, or questions that we should have posed. Uh, should we be so lucky as to have, uh, Mr. Campbell on our show again in the future? Yeah, definitely. And there is a link to the, uh, flame, uh, flame tree press publisher, uh, that's on our YouTube description right now. You know, a uh, big thanks to flame tree press for, uh, making it possible for us to get in touch with Ramsey. They've been enormously helpful uh, for making this show happen, actually. And of course, if you're new uh, to the show here, remember that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us, The Wandering DMs. We are on YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and GitHub and TikTok. And we do have the handle Wandering DMs, so look for us there, and you'll, you'll get updates for our other shows and guests and the next time that Ramsey will be on. If you prefer to listen to our show in audio-only podcast format, you can get those podcasts at our website at wanderingdms.com. They're also carried by all the major podcast carriers, such as iTunes, and Google Podcast, Stitcher, uh, Pocket Cast, all, all sorts of places. If you're listening to this show on one of those sites, please stop and uh, take a moment to rate and review us on that site. That helps other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it. We really do. And of course, huge thanks to our patrons who support the Wandering DM show. <laughs> And if you would like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash wanderingdams. See a couple different tiers, a bunch of benefits like our live Discord chat. And in about 10 minutes, we'll be on our Discord server to continue the conversation about Way of the Worm uh, with our viewers. One of the favorite things we do every Sunday. Look for our other shows uh, coming up uh, Tuesday and Thursday of this week, as always. But most important of all, uh, enormous thanks to Ramsey Campbell to, for making his valuable time available to us today. Thanks so much for being with us, Ramsey. Oh, I'm done. Thank you very much for having me. It was great. Let's do it again. Absolutely. We we <laughs> we agree. <laughs> Don't forget, we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So please join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.